John chapter 6 and verse 67, we read this. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? This is the question I would like us to consider this evening. Will ye also go away? We have seen in this, this portion, Christ has brought before the people, especially the Jews, some very hard sayings. He has brought to them some, some things which are hard to understand for these people. And in doing so, he has offended many. In bringing before them hard teachings, hard sayings, hard doctrines, they have become offended. As he picks up on in verse 61, Doth this offend you, he says, turning to them? And yes, it had offended them. We see this quite clearly. But he knew that some of them would not believe. There would be some amongst those who professed to be his disciples, who said that they were his followers, who to all appearances, they followed him around. They listened to all his teaching. Perhaps they were very attentive. They asked questions. They looked like they were listening to him teaching. And they looked like they were profiting from it. But some of them were not. Some of them, they could not stand. Some of his hard sayings, they could, not un- they could not understand them. And so, because they could not understand them, they would have nothing more of it. They went away. They went back, and they walked no more with him. I can't properly fully understand this, this problem that Christ puts, think the Jews. Therefore, because we can't understand it, We will stop following altogether. We'll turn away from this man. He was a wonder for a minute. Perhaps we spoke well of him. But now, no. He says things too hard to be understood. We'll have no more of this man. We will listen to this man no more. We'll profess to be his disciples no more. We will make an open profession to the world. We were not his disciples at all. We never followed this man. Truly, we were just going for some other reason some other purpose that we followed this man. Friends, in these days we see much, much confusion in, the, in society in general, in the world at large. We see much moral decline amongst the people of the world, and we see much decline also in the church. The standards of worship, they fall away. And we see much of these sorts of things in churches which once were so well known to be staunch places of the truth. Staunch chapels, we could name this evening, where the gospel was once preached by the most eminent men. It was preached with great power, accompanied by much blessing of the Holy Spirit. And we look at these churches today and we say, they're unrecognizable. The gospel that is preached, it is nothing compared to what it once was. We see so many departing from the old ways which Jeremiah pleads with the people to stand in the paths and see and follow the old paths. Well, we see many departing from the old paths. But we have the question to be asked, will ye also go away? All these others, they've gone. All these other people, they're they're going away, they're going about their own business. Will ye also go away? We have three heads this evening, once again from verses 66 to 68. We firstly see in verse 66, we see the apostasy, the apostasy. 
We read, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. There is an apostasy. There is a turning away from the things of God. We may well ask, well, what exactly has caused them to turn away? What is causing people to turn away from the true faith in these days? What is, what, what is the problem? What is the offense? Well, the primary offense, of course, we may observe, is the gospel. The gospel itself is a great offense. It is a stone of stumbling. It is the rock of offense, we are told. This is our gospel. All men will hate you, we're told. Why? Why did Christ say that to his disciples, those who followed him? Because he knew that the gospel that they had been given to proclaim was an offensive gospel. It was a gospel that was going to cause problems. Why was this? Well, friends, you, you, you may know, you have wit, tried to witness to other people around you, you may know so many people do not like the idea of sin. Of course, they, they will readily admit that there's much wrong with society. There's many things which cause them to be offended and put off and grieved by the ways that other people act. But when you confront them personally and say that they personally have offended God, it is a different story altogether. Other people, well, other people can, yes, we'll slate them, we'll run them down all we can, but not ourselves. It is not something within all of us we have to be careful of. We can so easily fall into a way of thinking whereby we will just, we will just hold ourselves up and we will have some pride in ourselves. We are perfect and we all think, oh, this person, they keep on doing this wrong and that wrong and this person offends me every time they do that. And I find this annoying and so on. We could list, I no doubt, each of us a long list of things that people do to, which upset us and cause us some degree of annoyance. And friends, we can all fall into the trap. But the gospel which had sin at its heart and personal sin, your own sin, that is so offensive. It is the pride of man's heart that causes him to take offense at these things. He will not have it. He opens up. Perhaps someone has some interest in the gospel. Tell me more, they say. As soon as you get to the sin, no, not interested. Change the subject. Get off of this as quickly as possible. You can't have mention of this. That's one thing which causes them to stumble at the gospel. But if we have no sin, we have no gospel. For this is the very foundation of our gospel. Is this sin? If there's no problem... There needs no solution. Christ Jesus came to seek and to seek out those who were the lost, to seek and to save. He did not come to the righteous. He didn't come to save the righteous, those people who thought they were good enough of themselves. But he came to save those who were sinners. And in his healing ministry, as he went about healing, this sounds silly, but he didn't go about healing those who were perfectly well. He went about healing those who were sick. And so it is with the gospel. If a man does not realize he is sick, he does not realize that he has sinned, and he has the sickness of the soul, sin in him, then he cannot understand the gospel. This is one thing. But another thing, the whole idea of condemnation, 
judgment and hell is equally repulsive to the unbeliever. These things cause great offense. You mean to say that a loving, kind God would send people to hell? They may say to us, how can this be? It's unthinkable. But of course, we know very well, if we understand that all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God, then we know very well that every single one of us is deserving of hell by nature. We cannot escape this. And it is a remarkable thing, truly amazing, that God saves anyone. And yet are we not thankful for that this evening? That he does save some. Even though we may have been this way before, we may have been offended by the gospel in our past days, yet by the grace of God and the working of his Spirit, these things can be overcome. And we are thankful for these things, else there would be no hope for any of us. The gospel, then, is is one great obstacle which causes many to turn away and to cease from following after the Lord. Another thing which may cause an offense, and this time perhaps more for those who attend a place of worship and outwardly appear to be religious people. They they like to think that they're Christians, and they go about thinking that they go to church, they do all the right things. They may be sent away, they may be turned back because of some hard truth striking to some personal fault or weakness. If there is teaching upon the Word of God which touches upon some chord of their heart, some point which they're unwilling to give up for their outward profession of religion, some precious thing to them, perhaps it is a pursuit, perhaps it is a sport, a hobby which consumes them and takes up so much of their time in following of it and pursuing of it, then this thing, if it is touched upon by the preaching of the Word of God, Perhaps the minister selects a text and he applies it directly to a certain point. This will cause such offense. Sometimes there may be a great deal of trouble that is caused. And they may leave the church for these things. If they are told the, whole, the, car, the cold, hard truths of the word of God, maybe on the subject of holy living, the need to seek out personal sanctification, to grow in our holiness, walking right in the sight of God. Maybe they will take offense to this also. It will be too much for them. They cannot bear it any longer. And so they will go away. No more of this. I can't be doing with it anymore. I don't, I don't put that much stock by my outward profession of religion so as to give up this precious thing. Friends, we must ask ourselves this evening, have we got precious things that we hold too dear, which perhaps they're not in keeping with the Word of God. Or maybe they are perfectly legitimate things, but they take us over so much that we have not enough time for personal devotions, for the things of God, for attending to the midweek meetings of the church, the Lord's Day services. If we have something which overtakes these things in importance and is considered more important than all of these things, We may be guilty of this in some manner. Even as truly saved believers, we may have this problem. It is something we must each guard our hearts upon. 
for it is a danger for us all. These are two particulars which may cause many to be offended at the word of God. Offended at our gospel. Offended at the teaching of the word of God. But where do they go? What, what becomes of these people? They disappear out of the doors of the church, vowing never to return. And where do they go? Well, perhaps some of them, they simply go away and they, they turn their back on religion altogether. Perhaps they say, well, I've spent some time with religion. I've tried it all out. I've found out what it's all about and now I've had enough. I'm going away now. Not going to have anything more to do with this. whole religion thing is just too much for me. I'm going to turn atheist. Have no religion at all. But is this not foolish? You see, such a person, though they may have made a very credible profession of faith, might have appeared like they were good people, yet they were not at heart. They never knew Christ. If they'd have known Christ in all His beauty, they could never have done this. We must know Christ in our hearts, personally and deeply. Have a great love for Him in our hearts. Others may turn away into other ways. They may turn and follow after casual worship. They may go to some place where the Word of God is not held in such reverence. Perhaps where they have the modern sensual music which comes with it. Casual worship. And they will turn away and they will say, well, I'm still a Christian. I just go to a different church now. It's a different sort of church. It's not a Christian church. Not in the biblical sense of the word Christian church. It is not in accordance with the word of God. Such places do not have a high view of God. They do not set him up on high. They do not have reverence for the word of God and the teaching of it. This is one grand thing of the doctrines which were set out so well by John Calvin. They set out brilliantly Above all else, the sovereignty of God and His greatness and His glory. And if you just think of Calvin's doctrine as just being contained in his five points, as we often refer to them nowadays, then it is much more than this. It's not just those. They are, of course, a part of it. But it is more than these things. And ultimately, it is the glory of God. We should have such a high view of our God that we cannot turn away even to these almost trivial types of Christianity, if I can call them such, for they're not Christianity at all. And they are just turning away from the truth. I cannot say, of course, that any particular denomination or group of churches have the truth, and everybody outside of them cannot be a Christian because they're not in the denomination. We can't say that, of course. And yet at the same time, we must have some standards. And Christ, surely, and the Word of God, and the glory of God, must be central and most important. There are those, of course, who turn back and they go into their old ways of life. Maybe sad, but maybe some man who is perhaps known to be a drunkard, or some other such person who is not at all a Christian man, Perhaps for a little while he fancies trying to change himself and he comes perhaps to a place of worship and he appears to have changed. 
It seems to all people that this man has changed somewhat, and he may keep this up for some little time. But then eventually, because he has not Christ, he will turn away. He will turn away also. He will return to his old way of life. We even see this somewhat in the Apostle Peter. Christ, you know, he, he, he denied his Lord three times when he was betrayed. Christ was betrayed and taken away. He been d- denied the Lord thrice in a dreadful way. And afterwards we find him, after Christ has been crucified, and to his disciples' minds he has died. This hope has gone. Christ, the Messiah that they thought had come, has died. There is nothing more. All their hopes have been crushed. What do we find Peter doing? He says, I go a-fishing. He's going back to his old way of life again. This was how he lived before. He had abandoned this. He'd forsaken his fishing to follow Christ. But now, Christ has gone, and he's going to go back to his fishing. And we see this sometimes. We are tempted to do this very same thing. We are tempted to do this self-same thing. Perhaps Christ leaves us. Christ withdraws his presence, as it were, from us for a while to try us. And perhaps at such times we are sorely tempted. Well, Christ has left me. I've got no hope. If our faith is weak, we can find ourselves thus. And we say, well, what can I do? I will go back to my old way of life. I will go back to the fishing boats. I will go back and launch out into the deep once more. But of course, if we are truly believers, if Christ is everything to us, even if we should be allowed to fall into such things, we will be brought back. Christ will not permit his people to fall away in such a way. They must be brought back. But think again of such as are brought up within the church who seem perhaps in their teenage years, to make a profession of faith. They seem to be Christian people. They make every appearance of it. They come to all the meetings of the church. They read their Bibles. They maybe even pray at a prayer meeting. But then they move out from home, perhaps. Perhaps they begin to make their own friends. They have other influences of the world coming upon them. And then what is their profession? So often is it not that we see the profession just becomes as nothing. Maybe even these people were baptized. Perhaps they had sat around and they had partaken of the Lord's Supper. But now they've gone back. They've gone away. They've left these things. And how sad it is when we see these things happening. How sad it is. How much it grieves us to see those turning away. Those who went back and walked no more with Christ. We see then the apostasy. But then secondly, we have a question in verse 67. A question is asked. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? We can imagine Christ sees this sight of these disciples. They, they turn from him. Perhaps he begins to see a crowd of people in front of him and now one or two and then more start to leave from the crowd and they they disperse and the crowd begins to disappear in front of him. 
because of what he has been telling them. And now, as it were, the multitude is melting away. You can see it in our mind's eye. He turns now to those twelve who stand nearest him, those twelve who stand beside him, who are his chosen twelve disciples, whom he has had with him, and who he is teaching the ways and the things of God. He turns to them, perhaps with a mixture of some grief, concern, pity, and maybe compassion. He turns to them and he says, Will ye also go away? Now we cannot question how our Lord knew their hearts. We know that he knew from the beginning who they were that believed not, in verse 64. And he asks this question to challenge them individually and personally. What about you? You see all of these others going away. And it seems like there is nothing you can do to stop them sometimes. You may plead with people. You may do all you can to try to keep them on the straight and narrow. But sometimes you cannot keep them back. But they must go, and they must be let go. But then the question comes, what about you? What about you? Your soul? Are you going to go back as well? Are you going to follow the crowds off and disperse? Or will you stand with Christ? On his own, perhaps, if need be. But you stand alone with Christ. What a question this is for us. You say, well, is there any danger of us turning back? We believe, of course, in the doctrine which is called the perseverance of the saints. And you say, and some level this at, at us, critics this is, they say, well, your doctrine of perseverance of the saints. It states that a person who is truly saved can never fall from grace. They may backslide, of course, but they are eternally kept. And we take great comfort from this doctrine. But there are those who come to us and they say, well, doesn't that excite such a great level of complacency amongst you people? Because you can sort of do whatever you like because you you don't have to worry about whether you're going to stay or not because you're just going to be kept. Doesn't this bring about some sort of great complacency amongst you? Friends, it does not. Ever. We are thankful that for this doctrine. It brings us much joy and much great comfort that we have it and we hold dear to it as being the teaching of Scripture. But it does not make us complacent. If we have the heart of the matter in us, if we know Christ, He is dwelling within us, it grieves us when we sin, I trust. It causes us grief when we do what is displeasing in the sight of God. For we remember Christ who suffered so much for us in bearing our sin. And because we love Him, we do not want to do what is wrong in His sight. And though we attempt it, Yes, we must continue on. And yes, we do have this comfort. If we do backslide, that we will be brought back. But we always ought to be searching our own hearts and testing ourselves whether we be in the faith. Of course, we must not do this to the point where we 
just live our lives in a rather depressed state. It can be sometimes, if, if you write a diary maybe, of your spiritual life, if you like. It can be sometimes that you can find that the entry for days and maybe weeks in a row can just be very, very miserable entries. Just listing all of your failings and all of the places where you've sinned today and yesterday and the day before. This is not how we are meant to live. When David had sinned, you remember so greatly with Bathsheba, there was such a great complex of sins involved in that. The killing of Uriah, the taking of Bathsheba, committing adultery, and many other subsequent sins which were intermingled with that affair. With David, we see him coming to the Lord. And friends, often turn to Psalm 51, for it is such a balm. We can read of David's prayer of confession, which can often be ours. And we find him there saying, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. If we have salvation in Jesus Christ, we can pray this. And we should have it. We should not rejoice when we are in sin. But we must confess our sins. For if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We read this in the Word of God. And we may trust it to be true. We should not live in sin. We should seek to repent of it as soon as we become aware of our sin. But this doctrine of perseverance does not make us complacent. Because we have the heart of the matter. Because we love Christ. We will go on. And we will continue. Yes, we may backslide. We may fall into grievous sins from time to time. It does not always mean we are not saved. Yes, search yourself if need be. It does not mean that you are automatically not saved. It's not so. You may fall into sin and you may find yourself. I have been doing this all this time. And it is against the Lord. What must I do? And then Satan will come to us perhaps and he will tempt us and say, Look what you've done. You can never come back from this now. You've sinned the unpardonable sin. You can never have any salvation now. You've thrown it away. That's it. No more salvation for you. No hope for you. But friends, we must resist this. Even if you have professed to be a Christian for many years, even if to all intents and purposes you've been a Christian, you've looked to everyone else like you were a Christian, the best and most spiritual man could not have told that you were not a Christian. And one day, you realize, I never was a Christian. I've never been converted. I've never been saved. Is there no hope for you then? Of course not. Not in the slightest. There is hope for you then. Christ receives sinful men. Maybe you have spurned his grace so many times. Maybe you have sat under the ministry of the gospel a hundred times and more than you can count. But there is always salvation available if you flee to Christ. And there is always forgiveness available. Forgiveness for the worst of sins. Even as a Christian man or woman, there may be salvation and forgiveness for your sins. Sometimes when we are tempted and we have fallen away from the Lord, it seems perhaps to others that we have gone back. We have left the faith. Maybe it will be 
that others will look at us and they will say, oh, they've gone, they've gone now, no hope for them anymore. They've turned away, turned their back on it. But even for ourselves personally, if we should ever find ourselves in such a case, we must always remember that there is hope. Satan may block us, though. He may seek to say to you and to stop you from coming to prayer. Perhaps you'll be unable to concentrate to come to prayer. So many thoughts will be going through your mind and distracting you. Perhaps you'll be so discouraged that you do not feel in the right frame of mind to pray. I say to you, there will be no remedy unless you pray. You must pray and ask for forgiveness from the Lord. But if you do so, you will be assured of it. You will have it by Christ. Well, we must come quickly on to the final point, the answer which is given. Simon Peter, almost always the first to answer, isn't he, so often? The boldest and the most outspoken of the disciples. And yet, he does say some grand statements. This is one of them. Verse 68, And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. How would you answer? If one were to ask you tonight, will ye also go away? What would be your answer tonight? Simon Peter, he comes back with an, an answering question almost. Lord, To whom shall we go? If you have known anything of Christ this night, you will be able to say the same. To whom can we go? Who is like unto our God? What salvation is like unto that obtained by Christ Jesus? There is nothing. He says also, Thou hast the words of eternal life. All the other religions of the world, all of the other forms of Christianity, They have not this eternal life by Christ Jesus that we have. If we are in Christ this evening, what a glorious prospect this is, though, that we have eternal life in Christ. And it is sure to us, if we persevere, if we endure till the end and are saved, let us have confidence in our God. Let us not just be half-hearted Christians not just Sunday Christians. Let us be always Christians. Christians 24-7, if you like. Christians always. Serious, dedicated Christians who will never go away from our Lord. Let it always be our resolution that we cannot, we dare not And by the grace of God, we shall not go away from Christ. May the Lord grant that each one of us may have such assurance this night and hope of eternal life for Christ's sake. Amen. Let us close by singing hymn number 802. Hymn number 802. Jesus, to thee our hearts we lift. May all our hearts with love o'erflow. Hymn number 802.
Jesus to thee, our hearts we lift. May all our hearts with love overflow, with thanks for thy continued gift. That still thy precious name we know, retain a sense of sin forgiven and when.
grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen.